Hey everyone, Becky from The Shift Team here, and we're back with a new mini episode to help everyone with some quick listens to get great ideas and tools for gymnastics. A step-by-step guide to better bridges and back handsprings. In this mini podcast episode, Dave discusses everything you need to know about bridges, back handsprings, and back pain. What's up, everybody? Welcome back. My name is Dave Tilly, and we are super excited today to answer a common question that I get from everybody, right? Which is, how do I develop bridges? How do I develop back handsprings? What do I do if somebody has low back pain, especially an athlete or someone of that nature? Anything from, you know, back tumbling and cheerleading or dance or gymnastics or stuff like that, or someone who's just recreationally working on these things, maybe someone who's working in circus as well. This is probably one of the most common things I deal with. I've unfortunately treated about 500 plus people with back pain for this type of issues. We're going to dive deep into it today and really give you guys a breakdown of exactly what you need to know and how to help people with this issue. Bridges, back pain, back handsprings, tumbling, all that kind of stuff. Where do we start? First thing to remember is when someone does a back handspring, right? You have to make sure, and this is what I'm teaching a lot of people. I coach gymnastics. I treat a lot of athletes for these issues. I consult with a lot of people and I'm always telling them you have to make sure that there is an equal bend happening, right? So when you look at somebody who's bending, you want to see from the hips, from the lower back, from the upper back, and from the shoulders, is there 25% happening about of each motion for everything, right? So you don't wanna have somebody who has a little bit of one thing and not enough of the other. That's where problems come up. So when you look at someone's proper back bending, can you see equal parts, the hips, the lower back, the upper back, and the shoulders all helping out together? That's really important because it's really high force when you do these skills. We know that from research. So we wanna see that force spread out across the entire bend, not so much just on one spot, which if you look down to this lower one here, that's typically what happens when somebody has an issue, right? So maybe for example, they have 10% coming from the hips because they're maybe a little bit stiff or maybe they grew or maybe they're just not knowing how to use their hips properly. Maybe they have 10% from their upper back and 10% from their shoulders because those are also very stiff as well or they're not strong enough in their upper back. But what that leaves is about 70%, right, comes from the lower back and the lower back is not really inherently designed to take that much force and bend over and over and over. What happens is a couple smaller joints in their back. If you're a nerd like me, hang on. If you don't like this, skip forward, right? The facet joints themselves can lock on each other and put over pressure, but also the spinous process of the back itself can pinch on each other. And so you have something called kissing spine syndrome, which is more just bone bruising of the actual two spinous processes together. Those are the bumps you can feel on your back, or you can have the facet joints themselves get overstressed when they back bend so much, and it can cause some irritation. So you can have something all the way from just joint crankiness, facet syndrome, all the way to a stress reaction of the neural arch or the pedicle, all the way through to something called spondylolithesis, which is when the actual fracture happens and it breaks. I'm just trying to illustrate the point that when 10% is happening on one of these joints, something else has to make up the difference and it's oftentimes the lower back. But also we sometimes see people who don't really bend a lot from their shoulders or their hip. They get some neck pain. They might have wrist pain here in the gymnastics world. It's called gymnast wrist because their shoulders don't open enough in a back handspring and it makes their wrists get overloaded as well. So you need wrist mobility to do a proper back handspring. And if you lack that elsewhere, you're going to put a lot more pressure on it, right? So that's what the framework is we're thinking about. Do we have equal bend. If not, the left side here is how we're going to figure out what we need to work on to really dig at this issue. Keep that in the back of your mind as we talk more about these. When we think about these things in terms of how do we help this, when I'm treating people, when I'm assessing people, when I'm giving them programs, I'm thinking in my head, okay, what's going on above the lower back? What's going on at the lower back? And what's going on below the lower back, right? And there's a couple things in each of these categories that we can work on. Over here, above the back, one of the most common things we already talked about is going to be the shoulder, right? Do you have a 
enough shoulder position to get over your head and get your arms behind your ears. Can you get your arms fully behind your ears to get that flexibility you need to then land in a proper position? And if you have that flexibility, are you strong enough to handle that high impact force that often comes with tumbling or back handsprings or whatever else they're working on? Within the shoulder, you wanna screen these things out. And we have many other videos to talk about this. We've talked about this in other exercises as well. So definitely check out the channel, but you have to figure out, is this a mobility problem? Is this a strength problem? Or is this a technique problem? And quickly, you can do a back to wall overhead assessment to see if you're mobile enough to check out uh, the, the position of your shoulders. You can do some strength testing of your upper back to your chest and some other muscle groups to figure out if you have strength of your upper back to support all your body weight in a back handspring. You can also just look at some technique. Does the person have really flexible shoulders and they're strong enough? They're just not actively engaging their arms all the way through their initial swing or in their tumbling. It's a technical error, right? It's about some basics and progressions and revisiting, slowing the skill down and really mastering that technique so they know how to use their shoulders properly. So you have to figure out what's going on to not let that 25% happen and how you can fix that. Closely related to that is going to be an area called your upper back or your thoracic spine, right? Very commonly, I've worked with athletes who do a lot of great shoulder flexibility work and they're doing stretching and stuff like that, but they've never looked at the rounding of their upper back and can they extend their back the opposite way. So when they go to bring their arms up, they run out of flexibility of their upper back and they instead have to go into their lower back and that is where they have a lot of that pressure or that pain. You can screen that out again by doing a press-up test and looking to see if that arch in that upper back is equal or if not, they're going to have a big lower back kind of spine kink, right? Or a little bit of a hinge and they're not going to have the upper back moving equally as well. So that's going to be super important. Sometimes people really do have good motion, but again, it's a control or a technique thing. They don't understand how to keep their core tight and move from their upper back and their shoulders. So it puts all their pressure on their lower back, especially younger athletes that are more hypermobile and they're really in the younger ages of the sport or they're training in circus or something of that nature, or they're training in ballet. A lot of times they're just not understanding how to engage their core and be really, really active and tight in their positions, what we call stiffness, right? In a lot of these drills, um, they don't understand that concept and they have to be taught and, and really learn those basics well to be focused and engaged on body tension when they're doing things like tumbling or dance elements or things of that nature. Above the road, you want to look at the shoulder. You want to look at the thoracic spine as well. When you're actually at the lower back itself, I put this one second because I think unfortunately I treat a lot of gymnasts who have come from other medical providers or I see people struggling with back pain and all they're getting is a ton of core exercises. They're just doing tons and tons and tons of V-ups and leg lifts and hollow rocks. And don't get me wrong, for some athletes, like I said, those younger ones who maybe are really kind of hyper mobile and don't have the best awareness or they don't have the strength to support that. Perfect. It's great for them, right? It's exactly what they need. They've been screened and they've ruled in that as an issue. But what I see a lot of times is people just blindly applying, you know, dead bugs and hollow rocks and bird dogs, which are good. Don't get me wrong. And I use them, but they're not the only thing that person needs. They need a comprehensive assessment of the entire upper and lower body together to figure out why the back is causing that issue. If they have stiffness in their upper back or their hips, it doesn't matter how many core exercises you do. You're always going to bend more from your back to make up that motion from somewhere else that's not moving enough. If you can actually find that somebody has some core issues, what you want to work on is either the strength component, right? Or the control component. Strength being someone who really just needs more exercises to increase the amount of stiffness they can create in their core, not just the front of their core, not just their six pack, but the obliques, the back, trying to brace the entire body together, learning how to breathe while you're bracing your core and your midline. That's the kind of strength you want to develop with all sorts of different things like side planks and farmer's carries and sled pushes and some different hollow rocks, some arch rocks, all that kind of stuff will be important to work it together. I would caution a lot of arch ups because sometimes that irritates the lower back if somebody who's having some problems. But all the first things that I mentioned help build that strength up at a baseline level. And then it's about, can you control your core? Do you know how to engage those muscles and brace 
really, really tight, but also breathe on top of that and be able to create that nice body tension in your, your handstand specific shape that leads into a back handspring. If someone can do it really well on the ground in a drill, but it all falls apart when they do their sport or they practice their, their certain thing they want to work on, that's a control issue, right? That is not a strength underlying issue. They just need to turn that on at the right time. Again, maybe it's technique, maybe it's basics, maybe it's slowing things down, maybe it's taking a step back and mastering some fundamentals before you skip ahead and do some more of the fancy stuff. That's usually at the lower back itself. Sometimes you also can have some muscular stiffness that develops over time if someone's a little cranky. So working on that with a medical provider also can be really important. I like doing some breathing drills. I like doing some soft tissue work. I like doing some specific mobilizations like cat camels and trying to get away from that overarched posture, but teach them how to round and breathe on top of that to relax that area. Very, very important as well. But those are usually more on the medical side. As we move down here, we're going to have a couple things that we can work on below as well. What we're going to do below is we're going to think about what's going on at the hips first. Is that allowing enough motion to happen? And the way that we're going to do that with the hip joint itself is going to be by looking at some screens and some assessments to say, can you open your hips into what's called hip extension fully using your hip muscles, your hip flexors, your quad, your groin? Do you have the mobility in your hip flexors, your quads, and your groin to open your hips up fully, right, to get that arch to happen from your lower body, not from your back? Many kids that are growing don't have that because of puberty and their muscles getting stiffer. So you have to do some specific screens. Again, we've talked about these in other videos. We have some content here. Can you do a Thomas test to look at the length of those muscles in the front, the hip flexors and the quad? Can you do a Faber test or a leg raise test to look at hamstring and also uh, groin flexibility? Because those are going to limit the ability to arch from your hips more and not from your back properly. So doing some screens and then working on soft tissue work and doing specific stretching and some eccentrics we've talked about, that has to be in a daily program before somebody can get back and try some of these back bending skills. But also maybe it's a strength issue. Maybe they just don't have enough strength in the back of their legs, their hamstrings, their glutes, and the hip muscles that rotate out versus the hip flexors, the quads, and the inner thigh. Especially in a lot of aesthetic sports like dance or cheerleading or circus or gymnastics, a lot of times the legs being squeezed together and tight is overdeveloping those muscles. And oftentimes the strength and conditioning program does not balance the front to the back or the turning into the turning out. So a lot of athletes will develop a natural overarch position in their pelvis, which one contributes to maybe some of their back soreness, but also is an issue why they have an imbalance and they can't tuck those hips under. They can't push their hips forward and push from their legs. So they move more from their back and that causes the problem. Okay. So it could be a strength issue, but then lastly, just like with the shoulders, it could be a technique issue. It could be someone who has lots of mobility, who has really good strength balance, but just doesn't understand how to activate and use their hip muscles in the back to push from their back and do those kind of things and open their hips fully. And that is going to be again, basics and taking a step back and mastering things slowly before you rush into tumbling or do complex skills. If you don't have good mastery of the basics, everything's going to fall apart when you try to go into harder skills down the road. You're selling yourself short a little bit and setting yourself up for frustration. To do technique and strength work, I really like doing single leg hip thrusts for these athletes because it teaches them to use their hip muscles properly, but it allows them not to arch their back. So shoulders up on a block, tuck the hips under, bring one leg up and push up to the ceiling, maybe with a weight on their hip, and that allows them to get proper development of their hip. Okay, so use some of those exercises as well. And then lastly down here is going to be ankle mobility is going to be very, very important as well. When somebody lands, sometimes this is not about back bending, right? But this is more about somebody who has chronic back pain because of things going on. If someone doesn't have the ankle mobility to properly land in gymnastics or ballet or any other circus art they're working on, sometimes they overarch their back and it lands and it puts heavy compression force on their back. This isn't related to back bending, but I wanted to mention it because it's something that oftentimes keeps people really, really cranky or irritated and they don't understand why they're doing all these things right, but they still have back problems or they still can't get over their problems that are coming up with their hip flexibility. Screen somebody's ankle with a half kneeling dorsiflexion test at a wall, trying to see if they can get their knee about four inches over their toe and then teach them how to land properly. That also will be super, super important. And then lastly, saved it for the most important because I want 
want people to make sure they do it is a lot of basics and patience, right? That is the least exciting answer when I tell people they need to work on it, but is the most important, right? You can do all of this stuff really, really well, but if you don't practice great basics every single day, and if you don't really be patient to work on progressing these things and mastering these basic elements of tumbling or dance or circus or ballet or whatever else sport you're working in, it is all unfortunately going to be a little bit of a waste of time because these things are never gonna stick. So you have to work with young athletes, you have to work with yourself to really make sure you're mastering these fundamentals and working on them every single day. Find the things that that you need, work on those in a warm up or a flexibility or a strength program or a technical program, and then every day practice your basics of tumbling or of handstand lines, of body shaping, of whatever else you need. That is what will make things show up long term. Sometimes it really is about just taking a step back, fixing these things, and then slowly over three to six weeks, adding these tumbling progressions back in. Again, if you're having pain, you should be working with the medical provider anyways, and someone should build you a program to slowly get back to the harder skills. For now, I hope that was helpful. I get a lot of questions about that, and I know a lot of people are wondering about how to help with this issue. If there's other things you're struggling with, you have questions on, we'd love to hear from you. We'd love to answer those things as well. Hope you guys enjoy this and have a wonderful day. Hopefully you enjoyed this mini podcast episode. Let us know if it was helpful and if you have any suggestions of what you'd like to learn about next. Hey everyone, thanks for listening to that episode. I hope that you really enjoyed it and got a lot of value out of it. I just wanna let you know before we sign off here that a couple things we'd love you to do. So one is please just make sure that you rate and review the podcast on iTunes or Spotify or Stitcher, wherever you're listening, because that really does help the episode grow quite a bit. And then second, if you really enjoyed this episode, we would love if you left us a review as well and told us what you liked about it. You know, what information was useful, what things were not useful, would you like to know more about, what guests do you wanna have on in the future? And then also as you kind of go about your day, if you found something really useful, just toss it up on social media. We love to hear from people on Instagram or Twitter or, you know, all the different websites that they're using for social media. Facebook is great too. But yeah, let us know what you like, because honestly, the podcast comes from people who just tell us what they're finding useful. And that's how we create the next set of content. So yeah, tag us in the podcast or tag us online, whatever you're doing it. And uh, let us know what you think. Thanks.